Welcome to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. We are for the misfits, those who don't fit in at school, those who don't fit in at church, those who feel they don't fit in anywhere. We are misfits, we are called to be misfits, and we are called to be for the misfits. Welcome to episode one of the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. Before I get into it about how to do youth ministry and how to do ministry to misfits, I thought I'd tell you a bit about my story uh, because, you know, they, they say it doesn't matter what you know until people know who you are. So my story of youth ministry starts with, well, youth ministry. When I was going to youth group as a, a young person, I was a bit of a misfit only for the first year and then I was a little bit socially awkward. Um, and some people who know me would say that not much has changed. I'm still socially awkward, but anyway, we'll just move along. (laughs) Now, it only took a year for me to feel like I fit in at youth group. So I wouldn't really say that I was a misfit. If anything, I was the opposite of a misfit at youth group. I said all the right things. I did all the right things. Um, and to the point that I ended up a student leader, as we called it at the age of 15, So I was a youth leader for that particular youth group for about 10 years. Um, And in the midst of that time, I also started studying youth work and I tried to use what I was learning to improve my ministry. I, towards the end of that time, I started working as a chaplain um, and did that for 10 years. I loved what I did as a chaplain. I loved coming alongside young people and nurturing and caring and uh, listening and supporting and all those all those things. Um, people described me as as someone who um, a bit like a gardener. Like I would come and I would water and I would plant and I would um, nurture and all those things. But um, even though I loved those relationships, there was something about the school system that I struggled with, and I needed a change. I needed something different. So in 2015. I decided to move to Southeast Asia. Um, I won't say specifically where, um, but in that particular place, I started um, working as a, well, I wasn't working, I was volunteering as a uh, English tutor. So I would hang out with young adults and uh, young people and help them improve their English. Um, English in this particular place was really key to people getting better better outcomes. Um, My main goal though, apart from that, was actually ministry. Uh, I wanted to see how I could love these people, see how I could um, show something of who Jesus is to these people. Uh, And I loved it so much what I was doing that I wanted to do that long term, which long story short led me to do my master's, my master's of social science, where I researched why young people leave the church. It was really cool how that all happened because the supervisor who I ended up having approached me and I wanted to do something else. And she, not from uh, a believing background, not, not a Christian, suggested this as a topic because she was looking into the spirituality of young people. So I did that. And that, that really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And it also led to my current role with Tabor College. Um, my examiner, the person who examined my thesis, obviously must have liked something I said because he ended up offering me a job. Uh, so I now work at Table College as the head of youth work 
and the campus manager for the Perth campus, where I teach about youth work, I teach about sociology. Uh, Currently, my two subjects are group work and case management. And I really love something, there's something about passing on knowledge. There's something about um, seeing people grow in their expertise. And not that I have all the knowledge, but we learn together, we discover together. And I really, really love that. Uh, I love to see the growth of my students. And also I love to, to, to read and to grow myself. Uh, so through all those events, uh, all those roles and ministries, I often wondered about why young people leave the church. I never asked anyone the question, why someone leaves? I never would follow them up and ask them why they're not coming anymore. Uh, so in that sense, the master's research that I did was particularly relevant. It really answered a question for me. And it's fair to say that my master's was a small scale. Like I only interviewed 15 people and they had all had interaction with a Baptist church because that was the uh, orientation of my upbringing. Um, And it was a huge project, even though it was only 15 people, it ended ended up being a Thesis of 144 pages of 38,000 words. So if you've read it, um, kudos to you, because I don't think I ever want to go back and read it again. Um, However, the things that did come out of it were pretty telling. It was really interesting for me. One thing that was really positive, um, which was kind of surprising, but not really, was that small groups was the place where a lot of people felt safe. They felt safe to be who they are. They felt safe to disagree. They felt safe um, to be disagreed with. They felt safe to say their thoughts and have a debate and know that they still had a relationship with the person they were debating with. Uh, One participant talked of um, someone who disagreed with uh, their life choices. And that person did it so lovingly, so gently uh, that even though the the participant didn't like it at the time, they look back and really appreciate what that person did. Uh, and that's telling of small groups, that in those small group settings, that people can feel really safe. Uh, I asked a question of my participants about what what the concepts of religion and spirituality mean to them. Religion as you can imagine, was all about rigid, rigidity, about uh, dogma and about um, traditions. And one person said, it means this is the way we've always done it, so this is the way we will always do it. Uh, when it came to spirituality, some people felt a bit uncomfortable about it, but on the whole, spirituality sounded like people felt it was more genuine. It was more... Uh, It was more like who they really are. They could express the part of themselves that was true to themselves, but also spirituality was where they could connect with God. Uh, There were quite a few participants who stayed in the church, even though they had bad experiences. And there were quite a number of participants who had some really good experiences, but still left the church. So I had to look at my research a bit deeper and to keep looking back at those interviews to keep asking this question. Well, if they've had bad experiences, why have they left? And if they've had good experiences, why have they stayed? 
what I discovered was the people that had bad experiences but stayed hung around because they um, had a real sense of spirituality in their church. And the people that left experienced dogma at their church. Of course, those this dogma, this idea of dogma, is among other things. Some people left because they didn't believe in God anymore. Some people left because they felt they didn't have time to go to church. But also, when you think about the question of what you have time for and what you don't have time for, well, you make time for the things that are valuable to you. So it's clear that even though their answer was they didn't have time, the real answer is it wasn't something they felt as, as valuable for their time. And their experiences, they talked of just um, this idea of dogma. So what do I mean when I, when I say dogma? Well, I'm trying to condense, you know, that 144 pages, 38,000 words into a short podcast. Um, so I'm going to do this really briefly. But the idea of dogma comes down to three, three sub-ideas that I, I grouped it into. The first one being about hierarchies that in the church it seemed that uh, if you didn't fit into the hierarchy of age, um, if you didn't fit into the hierarchy about marriage and about certain sins, then whatever you said didn't matter because you didn't know what you were talking about. Uh, It was some people described that people who were married seemed to act like they had more wisdom. People who, like the, the, the certain sins were seen as, more serious than others and therefore the people who committed those more serious sins you couldn't you couldn't gain anything from them they couldn't have anything to offer Um, the second point was about stigma one participant this really really stuck with me because it hurt me when i heard it they talked about how they were part of the worship team they were um really involved with their church and they seem to me like a really spiritual person, a person who really loved to dig into doctrine and theology and understand it and critique it and um, understand it for themselves. But people assumed that this person liked to party from things that they saw on social media. And I remember the participant saying, um, I never went to parties. I was not a party person. Um, But the stigma stuck to this person so much that the person coordinating the worship music team asked this person to step down uh, because of this reputation they had gained. So a stigma was attached to them about drinking alcohol in excess and going to parties that wasn't even true. Now, it wasn't just about those kind of untrue stigmas that got attached to people. There were other stigmas that people talked about, like um, being in a relationship with a person who isn't from a Christian background, being in a relationship with a person who isn't a Christian, um, and more. The third point about dogma is absolutism. It was very obvious to some participants uh, that if they didn't agree with the teachings of their church, then they weren't welcome. And it wasn't because anyone said anything. It was the way that they were treated when they weren't agreeing. Uh, Things like um, discussions about abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, uh, about doctrines of 
modern Israel and Palestine and those kinds of things, um, things that are not necessarily central to the teachings of Christianity, but are very political. And uh, they were treated very differently if they didn't agree with the church on those political things. So on the whole, these people that left the church, they, they left because they felt they didn't fit anymore. They left because it didn't fit with them. And I realized in the process of doing my master's um, that uh, in my ministry to young people, in, in youth group in particular, uh, I created this problem for some young people. My story with youth ministry is that I was very passionate about mentoring. Um, I mentored a group of young guys from the age of 13 um, until, well, some of them I still see now uh, who are now in their mid-20s. And the ones that I do see, um, I think I, I, I'm, I'm proud of what I was able to do with them. I'm proud of them. But I know that there are some who I kind of, in my head, I wrote them off. And I'm ashamed to say that so publicly, that I wrote these people off because they didn't fit with my idea of what it meant to be a Christian. They didn't accept what I had to say um, about faith. They didn't readily um, agree with me. One person would would tell me that they weren't, they weren't sure that they believed in God. And so because of that, and because I didn't like the way they behaved and I wasn't sure how to handle it, I kind of just stopped spending time with them. And that pains me to look back on that. It pains me to think about the damage that I did to that young person because I wrote them off. I, with my actions, I said to them, you are not good enough because you don't agree with me. That hurts. And the more people I talk to, the more I hear this same message that churches sometimes create this either or scenario. Either you fit in, either you agree and accept our teachings or leave. It's a pretty horrible thing, isn't it? It's pretty horrible to think that that's our message that we're sending people. And while that's painful to hear that, it's still there's still a sense of, well, what do we do now? Because how does, how does a church, how does a pastor, how does a, how does a youth pastor make sure that they can teach teach what they they feel is true, but not create misfits? It was one of the questions that I even asked myself as I, um, you know, poured over my research was, well, what do churches do now? How, how, does, how does the church do what it feels is its mandate to teach truth, but not create misfits? Which, if you think about the way that Jesus acted, the way that Jesus operated, you could see a bit of both. Like sometimes he let people go. He let people go who were not willing to acknowledge their, that they were misfits. He let people go when, um, like I think of the rich young ruler who was, who was so obsessed with his wealth that he couldn't give that up. But he also sat with people. He talked with people. He ate with people who were the misfits, the outcasts, the ones in society who everyone hated. He didn't spend a lot of time with the good ones. The other thing he did was he began with grace. The ones that Jesus kind of wrote off in inverted commas 
And I don't think that he wrote them off. I think he gave them a choice. But the ones that he gave a choice to were the ones who were so full of themselves, so full of pride, that they weren't willing to surrender themselves to God. And this is the biggest thing that I have learned as being part of the Table College community, is to be able to sit with people who are different with me, who are people that I disagree with. I realize that I can actually find points of commonality with people who I don't 100% agree with. I can actually hear the voice of the Spirit through these people. I can hear the voice of God through people who don't even believe in God. I have learned to think critically. I have learned to keep the main thing the main thing and to hold everything else with open palms. I have learned that I need to let go of my prideful need to convince other people to agree. And if they don't agree, then I move away because that's too hard. I have learned to embrace the fact that I myself am a misfit. And I say that I'm a misfit because over the last couple of years, I've been through what I am calling a deconstruction of my faith. I won't go into detail, but there's been a period where I think I'm coming out of, but I'm still partly in, where I had to relearn what it meant to be a Christian. I went through a period of doubts, through a period of not knowing what I believed anymore, where I felt angry at God, afraid of God, and where I didn't pray, I didn't spend time reading the Bible. I didn't want to go to church because every time I'd go to church, I'd feel like I'm not good enough for God. And I'd look around the people around me and I'd feel like I'm not good enough for them. So I felt like I didn't fit in at church. Oh, I could put on a brave face and I could look like a good Christian, but inwardly, I really didn't feel any interest towards faith. And I was, I was doubting my faith. I was doubting God's existence. And you can understand then why I called it, called it a deconstruction. So now as I'm reconstructing my faith, I'm finding new ways of meeting with God. I'm reflecting on that experience. And I'm realizing that in some small way, I can relate to those who don't feel like they fit with church. I never will completely relate to everyone. But in that small way, I relate to what it feels like to go to church and feel like I don't fit. And no one ever said I didn't fit. It was all things that I told myself. Um, however, I do think that sometimes churches, we create this, this feeling that if you aren't agreeing with these things that the preacher is saying, if you aren't passionate about these things, then are you really a Christian? Should you really be here? But I don't think that's the way Jesus approaches it. I think that Jesus approaches it the way that I've learned that our this college, this table college community approaches it of let's journey together. Let's journey through the doubts, through the storms. Let's journey into our darkness. Let's face the, the stuff that nobody else really wants to face. Face the doubts, the, the difficult decisions, the dilemmas, the the parts of faith that isn't black and white, and it's a lot more than we'd like to think. So I invite you on to this journey of being a misfit 
who's open to the parts of life that aren't black and white, who's open to journeying with me and with the people that I interview about how to be a misfit and how to make space for the misfits. Next week, in our next episode, I'll be talking with James Harris of youthwork.io about how to reach the misfits. Until then, stay misfit. Thanks for listening to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. If you want to continue the conversation, join our Facebook group. It's called Youth Ministry Misfits. Here we'll post more information, more research, more topics, more conversations. And we'll also post about future gatherings in person. If you'd like to know even more, why don't you think about studying with us at tabor.edu.au. We, we offer youth work, counselling, ministry and more. Until next time, stay misfit.